whenever we uh, go through whatever we're going through, the valley or the bad time, it's awesome when God shows up. I mean, it, it's revolutionary. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. But it's, I think it's a more beautiful thing when we realize that God was there even when we didn't realize He showed up. He was there even when we didn't feel Him or even when we didn't uh, acknowledge His presence or when we didn't feel it. You know, this week we're going to take another step uh, into the grace under fire talk. Last week we found out that God's grace is with us even when we have doubts or when we have questions or when we don't even know what to say. We're going to be looking today in the book of Genesis chapter 50 uh, after a man by the name of Joseph. Last week we talked about Moses. Very similar stories. Uh, Joseph was one of 12 uh, boys from a man by the name of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob. And, uh, man, it was like his brothers didn't care for him too much. Joseph had said some things and ticked the brothers off, and you think your family's bad. These dudes took this guy out in the desert, put him in a hole, left him for dead, brought the coat of, uh, cult of <laughs> the coat of, multi, of many colors back to their old man. So, oh man, the dude died. He didn't die. They sold him into slavery, okay? They, told, they sold him into trafficking, and they took him to Egypt. And he got there, uh, Joseph did, and I'm going to be honest with you, his life kind of took off. I mean, yeah, he was in jail, but on the same day he was in jail, he also became the prime minister of, of Egypt, if you will. The dude had a tough life, but even in of all that was going on, uh, God's grace was with him. Uh, Genesis chapter 39 verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian masters. He was sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. Now, that didn't end all that well either. I mean, there was jail time involved with it. He was accused of sexual assault. He was uh, uh, accused of, of attempted rape, and he was thrown in jail, kind of forgot about, but... But even in those dark times, even going back to his dysfunctional family, God's grace was in play during his entire life. And the thing is, God desires to be with you and me too, just like He desired to be with Joseph. He desires to be in close proximity with, with Bryce and with, and with Lisa and with Pam and Mike. He wants to be close to us. In Joseph's life, it was God guiding and per, protecting him through all the junk. And after spending some extended time wrongfully in prison, Joseph eventually moves up in the ranks. And uh, there's a family breaks out in the land. Ain't nobody got any food except Egypt because Joseph knew what he was doing. And he had been storing up uh, grain. There was a famine in the land. His brothers wind up coming to Egypt for some grain, for some bread, because there's nowhere else to get it. So they go there, and sure enough, there's Daggum Joseph running the show. The same dudes that sold him into slavery, now they come with their hand out. They come with, they, they come with the need. And, and that's kind of where we pick up the story. Now, if, you were, if I would have been Joseph, I would have put these guys in the same jail cell I just spent you know, years in. But that's not what Joseph does. This is what the Bible says. After burying his father, the old man had died. And what was going on is that the brothers thought, you know, Joseph's keeping us alive just as long as the old man's alive so he doesn't get mad. But as soon as the old man dies, he's going to clean house and he's going to take a scorched earth approach, kill us, our wives, our kids. That's kind of what they expected from Joseph because, quite honestly, that's probably what they would have done. Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone to bury his daddy. Then Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, and they said, uh-oh. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us all back the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joe saying, uh, your father left these instructions before he died. 
This is what you are to say to Joseph. And by the way, I don't know if this conversation took place. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins of the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. I mean, the dude just cried. Because basically he was saying, how do you think I would do that? You know me better than that. I don't operate like that. That's not who I am. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. And they said, hey, we sold you into slavery, but now we want to be your slaves. We just want to, to, to be, uh, we want you to be our master, they said. But Joseph said to them, y'all, it's, it's, it's cool. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. I am in the place of what? I'm exactly where God wants me to be. In spite of all the junk I went through, in spite of the pit, in spite of the prison, in spite of you guys flushing me, in spite of you guys canceling me, in spite of all that, I want you to know that I am in the exact place God wants me to be. You intended to harm me, but God, whose place I'm in, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And what's now being done, Joseph said, many people are being saved. Many people are living who wouldn't have otherwise. Y'all, this is the verse that we ought to maybe put inside of our spiritual pipe and smoke it, if you will, to realize that we are where God wants us to be and God will use us where we are at for His purpose. This is a verse that should be stamped on our heart. I am at the place God wants me to be. Church, there's a similar verse in the New Testament. It kind of feels like this. And we know that all things... God works for the good of those who love Him and for what? And for those who are called according to His purpose. God will work out the messes in our life by His grace for His glory and for our good. So we can be in the place that God wants us to be. And to me, it's clear in Joseph's life that God was always with him. And, and church, here's the thing. God wasn't just always with Joseph. He's always with you, Sue. He's always with you, Jason. He's with all of us, even when we don't feel His grace. Now, what I want to know is, is that if I'm in the grace of God, if I'm in the place of God's grace, will show up in my life. What will my life look like if I am walking in the grace of God? If I am in the place God wants me to be. Well, I think it mirrors a lot with Joseph's life. And the thing I want us to see, just real quick, three quick points, basically. Number one, if the grace of God is with us, it'll show up by us looking like we forgive people. When you think about how rotten and ornery Joseph's brothers were to him, dude, if anybody would have had a right to just kind of throw them under the hill and forget about them, man, it would have been Joseph. But that's not what he did. Jo uh, Jake... Uh, Joseph's brothers were scared that Joseph was going to bring payback on them. Because we've been so rotten to you, man. We thought you were just going to lower the hammer on us and things like that. Uh, they sold him into slavery. and They thought as soon as the old man died, man, it's going to be the end of the road for him. They figured that Joseph would have acted exactly they, they, the way they would have. Operated out of revenge and operated out of anger. But, but Joseph was a man of God. And Joseph had experienced God's grace for himself. He had experienced God's mercy for himself. And God's grace with, was with him. And because God's grace was with Joseph, he could show the same grace and mercy that he had been shown. And Joseph says something incredibly important. And we've already read it in Genesis 15. Verse 19, I am in the place that God wants me to be. I'm exactly where God desires me. I wonder what would happen in our own hearts if we sought to live the proper place where God's at and show that same mercy and forgiveness that we've been shown. Once Joseph understood the grace of God in his own life, he could share that grace with his brothers. I don't know if I could have done that. 
But Joseph was aware that he was a human being and he had been forgiven by God, so he had to show that same forgiveness to his brothers. There's a tribe in Africa, they've got an incredible ritual. If a, if a fellow in their tribe does something wrong, makes a mistake, commits a crime, uh, the person who did the crime or the offense, number one, they have to admit their responsibility. Yeah, I messed up. And then there is a sentence or a penalty, a punishment that is issued. That punishment is served, that sentence is served, that punishment is, is, uh, is met. And then after that's met, that person who's offended, that person who committed the crime, they go back to the tribe. And all the people in the tribe gather around this person who'd, who'd messed up. And as long as it takes, everybody around that tribe lay hands on that person and they tell that person of how good they are. All the good memories they have of him, uh, good times, good character, good uh, personality traits, good skill. Uh, maybe it was a gift, maybe something they did well. Maybe they were a carpenter, they could, they could build things out of wood. But everybody in that tribe would remind that person, hey, you are still a good person and we receive you back and we forgive you and we give you grace because the tribe knows that if this person doesn't feel like they belong and they don't feel like they're accepted, they'll leave in shame and they'll, they'll get out. They'll, they'll leave. And for this tribe, it's so important that they know, hey, okay, everything's cool now. We receive you back in. We reconcile with you. Quite often, I think our relationships and uh, those, those, tight, uh, those tight relationships they're compromised because we can't get past the wrongdoing of somebody in the past. Maybe they hurt us or they affected us in some mal way. Maybe they hurt our family or maybe they hurt our career. Maybe they cost us money. Uh, maybe they cost us reputation or they cost us relationships. So we kind of cross them off our list. And the reason why those relationships just kind of go flat because we can't get past the hurt the person's caused or we can't get past the pain the person's caused or the wrongdoing that person did. And what happens is that we tend to forget that all of us are human. We all make mistakes. We all screw up. And the reason we make mistakes, it's not because, uh, it's, it's not because we're bad people. It's because we're people. It's because we're human beings. I read something this morning in my quiet time. Mike Fogerson is not a sinner because he sins. I'm a sinner because of my nature. It's who I am. You know, I'm not white because I did something that makes me white. I was born this way. And guess what? I'm not a sinner because necessarily sin, by the way, I do. Um, I'm not a sinner necessarily because I sin. I'm a sinner because my mom and dad were sinners. It runs in my veins. I'm born with a sin nature. And guess what? The person. With that same tenacity and tendency. To mess things up. And sometimes the people with whom we're in relationships, uh, we, we forget that they're just as flawed as we are and we are just as flawed as they are. We're all human beings capable of messing things up. Relationships will fall apart because we fail to extend the grace and forgiveness we know and we've been shown by God. What would happen? If we leave, and what will happen is we'll leave our tribe in shame if we don't feel forgiven. We'll leave our tribe in shame because we don't feel accepted. How many kids, they mess up and their parents freak out, kick them out of the house without any reconciliation and decades go by without any type of relationship? Because we can't forgive. Because we can't show the grace. Or we choose not to. 
But church, this is a symptom of God's grace. If you've got, if you have God's grace, then you can give it out. If you've received forgiveness, then you can release forgiveness. The example of grace and forgiveness by that African tribe is a reminder that we continue to live in the community in spite of conflict. We continue to live in relationship in spite of problems, in spite of interpersonal uh, issues. And it's rewarding when we can give forgiveness. It's rewarding when we can give grace. We should remind ourselves all the time of, of, of even though somebody has hurt us, they've got good points or they have good traits or they have, they have good leadership skills or they have a good skill set or whatever. Accepting our flaws is necessary. If, Accepting the fact that we're messed up is necessary. However, it's also necessary to accept the flaws of others. They're just as human as I am. Hey, listen. You can try to be Jesus all you want, and I can try to be Jesus all I want, but we're not Jesus. We're not perfect. Not you, not me, not anyone. And if the grace of God is real to you and me, we will extend that grace. Rick Warren said this. He said, "What well, if you've experienced grace and you feel like you've been forgiving, you're a lot more forgiving to others and you're a lot more gracious to others. Once you know something, you can show something. And to show people forgiveness is to remember what God has done for you. And so one of those symptoms of God's grace being with you is that you're quick to forgive. Well, Brother Mike, I'm not quick to forgive. I'm, I'm quick to hold the grudge. Then work that out between you and God. So you show forgiveness, but another thing that is attached to forgiveness is an invitation. We invite people in. When you look at Joseph's life, and this is the second symptom, we invite people in. When you look at Joseph's life, I mean, the guy could have sent them away. He could have sent them in prison. He could have said, you know what, guys, I don't care if you starve to death at all. I don't care if my nieces and nephews starve to death at all. I don't care if my sister-in-law starved to death at all. You should have thought of that before you put me into slavery. He doesn't do that. Joseph invites his brothers and their family into his story. He's the prime minister of Egypt, or maybe the director of agriculture. I don't know. He's the number two guy there. But he says, hey, I know you guys have messed up, and I release you, I forgive you. Now I want you to invite you to come and live in my house. Now I want to invite you to come and be a part of my family. Uh, he promises to continue to take care of them even after the old man died. Now that their father Jacob had passed away, they don't have nowhere to go. They don't have any food. Joseph says, come live with me. I would argue that if God's grace is truly for us, we really have to have a holistic view of the church. You see, this church isn't just for white people. It's not just for people with a little bit of money. It's not for people who's, who identify with a particular denomination. Y'all, this church is for everybody. And you know what, you may not agree with everything we believe in. I don't know if I agree with everything we believe in. Um, but that's part of who we are. We're in this thing together. Flaws and all. Grace required. And some of us take extra grace required. You know, I'll, I'll sign up for that camp. But we're all in the same family. There's nobody that's too rich or too poor or too broke or too broken or too addicted or too addled to be a part of the family of God. And here's the thing. Y'all, we are all a part of the family. We might have Methodist brothers and sisters. Don't focus on the Methodist. Focus on the brothers and sisters. 
We've got Lutheran brothers and sisters. Don't focus on the Lutheran. Focus on the brothers and sisters. We've got Catholic brothers and sisters. Don't focus on the Catholic. We Focus on the brothers and sisters. Church, this is a big body. In fact, the Bible says this. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that you are now part of the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it? And church, when you're not here, we miss a part of the body. Try living a week without your arm. We need you. And that's the way God designed it. Mike didn't design it that way. I didn't design it that way. This is the way God wanted it. He said, we're a part of the body. Paul writes that all believers together make up the body in Christ. And, and that means we come to know Christ. We enter into a family with many brothers, with many sisters. That's why I call people sister, sissy, or brother. It's because, hey, we are a part of the family. Take a holistic view of the body of Christ. When it comes to the grace of God being shown, we can't limit that invitation to people who are like us or the same color, or the same tax bracket. Church, there's an invitation that's given to every other sinner. And by the way, that's all of us. Joseph says, hey man, I, let me invite you to come live with me. What about those who don't know him yet? They're the ones who, they're the ones who need to be invited to the family, church. Inviting people into a grace-filled relationship with God is part of our spiritual growth as Christians. That's why we've learned how to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. That's why we've learned a, a, the, the three-circle model of sharing your faith. That's why we've been trained. That's why we've did ten seconds, uh, the ten-second rule. As soon as you know, or as soon as you're reasonably certain what Jesus wants you to do, you do it within ten seconds. We've been training and we've been receiving teaching on how to invite people into the family. And the Bible makes it clear that growth takes place not out there, but church. the church is here for us to grow and to have fellowship. When you are saved, I, I believe with all my heart that Jesus didn't expect you to go out there and live as a hermit, but He expects you to be a part of the family. And we have, we have so many Christians who think that they can live in a, as a hermit and be out there on their own and... and and, and travel the journey by themselves. Hey, I'm not saying God doesn't love you and think if that's the choice that you take, but I would give nothing in the world to be separate. I wouldn't give anything to be separate. I, I don't want to be separated from the body of Christ. This is where I'm warmed. This is where I'm fed. This is where I work. This is where I serve. This is an important thing. Preacher, where's that in the Bible? Well, Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Church, Jesus is okay with us coming together and getting along. He's okay for us coming together to, to serve the kingdom of God. And so when we forgive people, also attached with those words that we give people is an invitation to come to be a part of our family. And upon this decision being made, believers are invited into the family of God. You're invited to be a part of the group. You're invited to be a part of the house. Is that our daily rhythm? Do we have a tendency to invite people into the family, the church? Or is it something we only do like when the preacher is on fire for evangelism? Do we only do it when we're doing turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations? Do we only do it when there is an emphasis in the pulpit? Y'all, evangelism was not a program in the early church. It was the early church. It's how they did things. In fact, the early church loved Jesus so much and they had so much grace exuding in their lives that they found favor with people around them. They said, I want what they have. We're living in a, in, in a, in a hellish world, but those people, they seem to have peace. I want what they have. They, they, they are living a, a life of love in a world of hate. They are living a life of forgiveness in a world of rage. They are living a life of, of anointing in a world that's angry. And they changed the culture. They changed the world. Church, the reason why the... Western civilization has progressed for the last 2,000 years because of Jesus. 
because of the Bible, do our lives reflect the Jesus that's living inside of us? Love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said, our friends and family are either going to heaven or hell. And it's time that we come to grips with them about this all-important matter, and God help us do so. Y'all, we got to invite people before they die, because when they die, when we die, we go to one or two places. There's not a third option. We're not annihilated. We don't go to purgatory. It's not like we never existed. The Bible says we either spend an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. And I know that it's hard to share your faith. I don't know. I, I do know why. I know that it's hard to share that and to, to weave the, the, uh, the process of everyday conversations and the gospel conversations. I know it's hard, but can I tell you what's harder? Seeing your friends and family die without Jesus and spend an eternity in a devil's hell. That's hard. That's harder. Did you know it takes about seven times for somebody to hear the gospel before they respond? It takes about seven times for somebody to hear about how God has a perfect design for us, but because we've sinned, uh, we went with our own plan over His. Uh, it takes seven times for somebody to say that God sent a way for us to be restored to Him, to God's original design, the person of Jesus who, who was died and buried and resurrected. Uh, it takes seven times for somebody to hear about repenting of their sin, believing that Jesus is the Son of God in order to be restored, in order to be in His so it takes seven times to somebody say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I thank God for the seventh person who told me that when I was eight years old. But you know what? I also thank them for the fourth person who told me. I also thank him for the third person who told me. Those people didn't get to see me come to Christ. They probably don't even remember me. But they planted the seed and eventually I responded. Church, same thing with you. You probably didn't respond to the Gospel the first time you heard it. It was probably seven, eight, or nine. Seven, eight, or nine. But church, for number two and three, who also shared it with you? You may not be the person that leads somebody to the Lord, but you've got a spot in the cycle. And if you don't do your thing, then how can the person ahead of you do their thing? Maybe, maybe they won't get saved till later because of that, but this is what I do know and I believe with the heart. God's given you everything you need right now to win the people to Christ that He has intended you to win to Christ. You don't need another class. You don't need another verse. You don't need another connect group. God's already given you everything you need to people He wants you to reach. We invite people in. I know that telling people's tough, but watching them die without Jesus is tougher. Lastly, we know that the grace of God is with us because we forgive, because we invite, and lastly, because we're sent. Now, if we take a, bird, a bird's eye view of Genesis chapter 50 and just kind of look at everything that's going on, G uh, Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And it's there in that time of slavery where he grew to prominence, where he, where he climbed the, 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 the social ladder, the, the, the influence ladder. He was put in charge for providing for many people in the midst of famine, in the midst of shortage. This is the interesting thing to me. Joseph goes from being inmate number IL447324 to being the prime minister in one stinking day. How do you go from being in the hole to being the number two in the nation in one day? I can tell you. 
That's the grace of God. Look what the Bible says. Genesis 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of this dream, it was a dream interpretation situation to you. Clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. You're going to be in charge of my court. All my staff, all my people, you're going to be in charge of that. You're going to be my secretary of state. And all my people will take orders from you, Joe. Only I sitting on the throne will have a higher rank than yours. What he's saying is, you are now the second man in charge of the entire nation. He ate breakfast in jail. He had oatmeal and bread. And now by evening time, he's sitting in the number two spot. Why? Because God was with him and God had sent him. Church, Joseph realizes this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Church, what if God has brought you into your life through all your hell, through all your mountains, through your divorce, through your addiction, through your recovery, through your problem with the law, through your problem with work? What if God brought you through all that because He has something for you to do? What if He brought you through all that mess because He has something for you to accomplish? And the only way you could have accomplished it or the only way you will accomplish it is because you had to go through that crap. You had to go through the divorce. You went through the alcoholism. Through the, through the brokenness. You went through being cheated on. You went through addiction. You went through all that. What if that is the way? read a story back in uh, 1844, uh, January 14th or 19th, I can't remember that. But something happened for the very first time that day. There were three men, John Fremont, Broken Hand, Fritz Patrick, uh, Fritz Patrick and uh, Kit Carson. They did something that nobody had done before. They passed through the Sahara Nevada mountain range during the winter. And historically, that's called the 70 uh, 70 miles of the most dangerous uh, expedition ever. And the reason why that's significant is because that was, the last, that was the last obstacle to the westward expansion, 1844. You got to be able to do that thing all the time. And all the times past, people had failed. They, they had tried to go through the Sahara Nevada mountains during the winter, and they came down with dehydration, uh, 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 near starvation, hypothermia, nobody could do it. But as soon as Friedmont, Carson, and Fritz Patrick did it one time, that mountain that had killed so many people, that mountain that had put an obstacle in the way, a barrier in the way, once they passed over it, what was impossible before is now possible. What was impassable before is now passable. And that opened up westward expansion. This is the point I want you to understand. Before the westward expansion could happen, they had to go. They couldn't go around it. They couldn't go under it. They couldn't go through it. They had there wasn't another way. The obstacle was the way. Church, what if all those mountains that you and I have, mountains of depression, addiction, dejection, depression, uh, what if all that stuff is where God wants us to go through because that's the only way to get to where He wants us to be? You see, the obstacle is not standing in your way. The obstacle is the way. You look at Joseph's life. The way to the second spot in Egypt 
unfortunately went through a jail. It went through a dysfunctional family. It went through being sold into human trafficking. It went through being accused of sexual assault. It went through being tormented and being cast out by those who loved him the most. When he was going through all that, you know exactly what he was thinking, Jamin. My God, how much more of this can I handle? I don't understand what's going on. But Joseph kept telling himself, I am the place that God wants me to be. He understood that the valleys and the obstacles were the way. Church, I don't know what you're going through, but let me tell you something. I want you to consider that the mess you're going through may be the way to where God wants you to be. Well, Brother Mike, I don't like it. I don't like it either. But I tell you what I will like, and I tell you what I do like. I like being in the place that God wants me to be. And what you consider impassable or impossible may very well be God bringing you to where He wants you to be. Irving Stone wrote an account on that 1844 journey over the Sahara and Nevada mountains. And the name of the title is an incredible title. He says, the men, uh, the men matched the mountain. The men matched the mountain. You are big enough to go through what you are going through because Jesus is walking with you through your mountain. Jesus is with you as you walk through your trial, your struggle. You are never alone. He's bringing you through this so you can do kingdom work. Indeed, the obstacle is the enemy. The obstacle is the way. It's the way to endurance. It's the way to spiritual maturity. It's the way to spiritual growth. The way to completeness in Christ. What if those tough times and those struggles are the way? James 1, 2-4, and I'm about done. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various what? I just want you to know that I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. Consider it joy when you encounter the trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, I think that sometimes God, oh, I think that God sometimes lets me hit rock bottom so I will realize that the rock I land on is Him. He just lets me hit and He says, okay, dude, I'm going to catch you. But when I catch you, you're not staying here because I've got another job for you. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not keep you. The grace of God will not take you where the grace of God will not protect you. And I really think that when we look at all these mountains in our life, and, and you know what, some of our mountains are bigger than others. Some of our mountains that we have, other people will look at our life and say, man, that ain't nothing. But you know what, whatever mountain you have looks huge to you. But you know, Kevin, I think if we could all put all of our problems or mountain in the pile up here in the front of the church, I'd always go back and pull mine out because I don't want James. And I don't want Chris's. And I don't want Richard's. I don't want Sue's. Y'all, we all have our stuff that we deal with. But praise God, we never deal with it alone. We never have to walk through it alone. We never have to go through it alone. God has an answer for every one of the messes in our life and it's the same answer. 
over your addiction, over your bondage, over your divorce, over your faith, whatever. God's grace. 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 Y'all, He doesn't love us because we do good. He loves us because He is good. I'm not a sinner because I mess up. I'm a sinner because I was born. And that's the beautiful thing about God's grace. God's grace was given to me before I breathed my first breath. He knew I was messed up. And that's why He sent Jesus before the foundation of the earth. He knew who we were. And He still wants to send us out. Y'all, we've looked at how God's grace played out in the wild life of old Joseph. And we can tell God's grace with Joseph because of those three things. Number one, he showed forgiveness. Number two, he invited people. The, 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 the forgiveness was for the family. The invitation was for his family. And then thirdly, he was sent out. He did stuff. He operated in the grace of God. Joseph was able to gain perspective on his situation enough to figure out that God had always been working. He had always been in control, even though when he didn't understand it. Y'all, God didn't show His grace on us so we could be hoarders. He didn't show His grace so we'd keep it under lock and key. He didn't give us His grace so we'd be a lake that just holds everything in. Man, He saved us so we could give grace out. He didn't save us to be lakes. He saved us to be reservoirs, rivers, not reservoirs, uh, rivers, not reservoirs, but rivers. He, he gives us grace so we can show it to other people. Y'all, Joseph was able to gain that perspective to give grace away. And we're away miss pam if you'd come up and team if you'd come up y'all maybe today you're simply hearing this for the first time and you're, you're maybe you're having a hard time believing it because the stuff you've been going through you don't feel god you don't feel like he's with you you don't feel like he's a part of your journey you think maybe he's forgotten you maybe you feel like that he doesn't like you maybe you're saying man that's all great for joseph to preach i don't feel that way my husband's left me. My kids don't talk to me. Daggum bill collector keeps calling my house. I don't know why. I don't have money. Preach, that might have worked for Joseph, but I just don't feel it working for me. If that's you, I just want to encourage you and I want to remind you that my dear brother or sister, God is with you. God is for you and He will never leave you. God is for you. God is with you. And He will never leave you. That has nothing to do with a feeling. That has nothing to do with an emotion. That has everything to do with simply trusting in the Word of God. I got a feeling that sometimes when we feel God the least, He's there the most. Consider it joy. If that's you this morning, then I want you to see clearly, maybe more than anybody, and know that He's close to you when you're going through your own personal hell. When the Israelites felt abandoned, when they felt like God had abandoned them, they, uh, God raised up a prophet by the name of Jeremiah to release this blessing over He says, Israel, my people, I have plans for you. Rachel, I have plans for you. Kevin, I have plans for you. Lisa, I have plans for you. Chris, I have plans for you. And those plans, well, they are to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope. Church, that's God's plans for us. Our God knows and He sees and He's got a plan and a purpose for everything in our life. 
when the Israelites were about to enter into the promised land, God gave a word to the man Joshua and he told him, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whether it's the courthouse, the White House, the outhouse, God's with you. Church, I know about you, but that does something to my spirit. This guy is never alone. This guy is never abandoned. This guy is never left by himself. The Word of God says, I will be with you wherever you go, even in the bad times. It's easy to see him in the good times, brother. It takes commitment to see him in the bad times. It takes a want to in the bad times. Because of the reality of the Holy Spirit living inside every born-again believer, I can honestly say that God never leaves us. He's dwelling inside of us right now. He's with us in the mountain in the wintertime. He's with us in the valley in the summertime. He's with us in the desert in the dry time. He's always with us. He's for you. He's for your prospering in any and every situation that comes your way. Church, you may know God's grace, and I pray to God you know it. And if you know it, then you better show it. You better have symptoms of the grace of God in your life. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. Today, if you don't know the gift of God's grace, today, if you don't know who you are in Christ, or maybe you know that you're away from Him, I want you to know today that you need to take responsibility for, for your sin. Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've got to own up to that. You've got to admit up to it. And by admitting up to it, you realize that you can't work it out on your own. But today you realize that who come to die in your place. He came to die in your place on the cross vicariously to pay for the wages of your sin, the guilt of your sin, the condemnation of your sin, the penalty of your sin, and the death that accompanies, accompanies the, the wages of that sin, which is death. I've got great news for you. God's grace has been shown to you through the person of Jesus Christ. And He wants to take away your sin. He wants to restore you. He wants to bring you back into fellowship with God. He wants that relationship to be restored and recovered. Today, if you would want to do that or maybe reconfirm your faith in Him, I, I encourage you to pray with me right now. Dear God, I am a sinner and I am in need of forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that You are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You were buried and you rose again to pay for my sin. I confess that I am a sinner and I profess my faith in you. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. This morning if you made that decision for the first time, welcome to the family, my new brother or my new sister. And if you made that decision today, please, for the love of God, tell me or Miss Pam on your way out before you leave. I want to do a secondary appeal. For some of you who have already known God's grace, I encourage you to show more of the grace you know. To the people in your life. Show them symptoms of forgiveness. Show those symptoms of the invitation. Show those symptoms of being sent out. And the payoff's not always immediate, but God's not working on our schedule. 
You see, you can chase after money, and money says, earn me and forget everything else. Some of us follow time. Time says, follow me and forget everything else. Some of us follow the future, and the future says, struggle with me and forget everything else. Some of us want to go after God, and God says, simply remember me, and I'll give you everything. I'll give you. Y'all, we need to focus more on the grace of God and the grace that God's given us and pursue and pursue that Joseph-like symptomatic display of, of grace with forgiving people, with inviting people to come into the family and by willingly submitting to be sent. I want you to think about it. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to forgive today? Brother Mike, they don't deserve it. Well, brother, either did you. Sister, either did you. Who do you need to invite to the family? Our friends and family are going to heaven or hell, and we, we have to come to grips with that reality, and God help us. Who's God sending you to? Maybe it's a new ministry. Maybe it's a... Maybe it's stepping up to be a part of pray and go. Maybe it's, it's, it's a part of being, uh, maybe it's a part of being of a hospitality ministry of this church. I don't know, but what God, what is God sending you to do? I'm going to ask you to simply to stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to open the invitation. You know, it's a wonderful thing when God's grace shows up in our life right when, and eating, right when we need Him. But to me, I think it's a better thing when we realize that God's always been there. Even when we didn't feel Him or we didn't see Him or we didn't sense Him. This morning, maybe some of you just need to thank God for being there for you when you didn't feel like it. When you didn't feel Him. But today you realize, oh, He was always with me. Maybe it was the death of a spouse. Maybe it was the death of a marriage. Maybe it was the death of a career. Maybe it was the death of your finances. But some of you just need to thank God for, make, for, for making a way through that mess to get to where you need to be and where you are today. Lord God, I pray over this invitation at this very moment. Father, I pray that you would release an invitation to the hearts of your people as they are drawn to your grace and your mercy and your power and your love. Father, I pray for those who are going to release people today with forgiveness. I pray for those who are going to be praying for folks that they're going to invite this week to come into the family. I pray for those who are being sent out to do the work of the kingdom.